Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. You are listening to Intuit from Vulture and New York Magazine. I'm your host, Sam Sanders. We've got a great, great, great show for you this week in two parts. In the second part of this episode, we're going to talk with a TV writer whose HBO Max show was removed entirely from HBO Max. Like, disappeared. This has happened to more than 80 HBO Max shows in the last few months, and it's very weird. More on why it's happening and how it feels to have that happen a bit later in the show. But first, got to talk about maybe the biggest entertainment news of the week. Oscar nominations are out, and to figure out whether we are into them or not, I'm joined by entertainment expert, film buff, Adam B. Very. He's a senior entertainment writer at Variety. So good to have you here, friend. So good to be here, Sam. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm a longtime listener and so excited to be on this show. It's delightful to have you here. I've talked to you before in previous iterations of my career, and I'm honored to have you on this show. But I got to ask to start, we are taping this on the day that nominations for the Oscars have been announced. How tiring is this day for you as an entertainment reporter at Variety? It's it's exciting and exhausting in equal measure. I was up before five in the morning. Oh. You know, it's been a scramble of um, of interviews and uh, reactions and surprises and a lot of food to talk about. Though I think this was a pretty interesting slate of nominees this year. Uh, all right, so Adam, we play a game on this show every week called Into It, Not Into It. And it's a very simple premise. I share three stories from the pop culture, from the zeitgeist, and my guests tell me if they're into it or not. And at the end, I tell them if they've won based on my opinion of their opinions. We are doing a special only Oscar edition of the game, which means there's only really one question for you. So without further ado, here are the nominees. And that is, are you into or not into this year's Oscar nominations and why tell us I would say I am mostly into this year's Oscar nominations okay I I will start by saying if I was the Academy I would be enthusiastically into these nominations because you had yes because you had two giant blockbuster movies 
nominated for Best Picture in Top Gun Maverick and Avatar The Way of Water. And then you've got um, movies like Elvis and Everything Everywhere All at Once, both of which were also very popular movies uh, on a bit of a smaller scale. And then you've got you know movies like Women Talking and Tar and The Fablemans that also kind of hit the kind of art house chord. So you've got a really good variety not to, <laughs> <laughs> i see what you did there of <laughs> uh, my publication there yeah, it's okay it's you okay. got a really great variety of of nominees here and i think that was what the academy really was hoping was going to happen i'm most thrilled for everything everywhere all at once i think it's really exciting that basically the entire core cast was nominated michelle yo and Kiwi Kwan and Stephanie Shu and Jimmy Lee Curtis, all of them got nominations. It's uh, along with Hong Chao for The Whale, this is the most Asian nominees ever in the history of the Oscars. And then you also have the WTF story of this year's award season, which is the nomination for Andrea Riseborough. Sam, I don't know how how much you've been following this but it is please tell me everything so i you know i the first thing i noticed was when edward norton started t- randomly tweeting oh, about andrea risebury's performance you know, i've heard about it in into the last so night. okay i want to hear the whole story but yeah. if i recall seeing this correctly uh an actress started like a campaign amongst her rich and actor friends to get her an Oscar nomination. And it seems to have worked. I mean, it definitely worked. She's got the nomination. (laughs) All right. So what happened here? So um, the movie that, that she was nominated for is called Two Leslie. It debuted uh, at the South by Southwest film festival last year. It's directed by uh, a man named Michael Morris. His wife is actress Mary McCormick. And Mary McCormick played, she also played Howard Stern's wife in the Howard Stern biopic, uh, Private Parts, that was out in 1997, and they stayed friends. So apparently, Mary McCormick talked up this movie to Howard Stern, and then Howard Stern started talking about it in October of uh, last year. Um, I don't listen to Stern, so I only came across it when Edward Norton started tweeting about it at the beginning of this year. And then it really snowballed out of almost nowhere. All of a sudden, there was this litany of major stars going to bat for this movie. Charlize Theron hosted a screening. I think Kate Winslet also hosted a screening. Gwyneth Paltrow was also uh, campaigning for it. Sally Field, Liam Neeson, Jane Fonda, Laura Dern, Gina Davis, Muir Sorvino. They all came out to support this performance. And... Uh, they willed it into a nomination, which I, I have to say, in the history of the Academy Awards, I've never quite seen anything like this at all. Huh. It's also pretty much immediately become controversial as well, because she so she was nominated, um, but uh, Daniel Deadweiler for Till and Viola Davis for The Woman King, mm. both of whom were hmm. long expected to be uh, Best Actress nominees this year, neither of them were nominated. And there's a there's a perception that uh, Andrea Riseborough essentially campaigned her way into the slots that either of those actresses might have occupied otherwise. Well, and it's like, 
Can I be mad at that? These studios will spend millions to get a nomination. Is that any better or worse than Andrea Riseborough calling her friends? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know either. I think that the story within the story here, though, is that, you know, it's not like, especially Viola Davis is hurting for famous friends either. Yeah. And or she Oscar produced the woman. <laughs> She's got a lot of Or already. Oscar nominations. But she she produced The Woman King. Uh, Gina Price Brythewood directed the hell out of that movie. It didn't get a single Oscar nomination this year, and it is that was interesting. I it, thought it was coming for for them. I, yeah, I, like I, I I assumed she would get it. You know. Yeah, and you know it's the the Academy has worked really hard since the Oscar So White scandal to diversify its ranks, and they have very much succeeded in doing so. But it's still uh, majority white, majority male uh, organization. You got to wonder, like, when you look at a movie like Till, which is about a real event, it's a towering performance by Daniel Deadweiler. It's exactly the kind of thing that the Oscars have nominated for years and years and years. And yet there was not the same kind of groundswell of support and enthusiasm for that performance. Oh, totally. As there was for Andrew Riseborough. As there was for Andrew Riseborough. Well, I want to talk about a few of the highlights, but um, I want to ask you if I should feel some kind of way and how I should feel about no women being up for Oscars for Best Director this year. I feel like we keep having this conversation. Yes. Um, And one could have argued that this should have been the year for more than one woman to be up for Best Director. What happened there? I That's a good question, Sam. And I wish I had a good answer for you other than patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. I don't I don't know what else to say there. Like, you know, I was relieved that Women Talking, which is a stunning movie directed by Sarah Pauly, okay. that at least that got a Best Picture nomination. Yeah. Um, as well as a Best uh, Screenplay nomination. There's a you know alternative universe in which the Woman King performed very well today, and Gina Price Brethwood was one of those nominees. Um, Charlotte Wells, the director of After Sun, which is the movie that Paul Mescal was nominated for Best uh, Actor for today, that was seen as a real auspicious debut, and I think uh, she could have you know slid in there, um, but instead it was a bunch of dudes. You know Steven Spielberg. Uh, has emerged as I think the front runner and has been for the entire season with the Fablemans because it's about his life. But you know, can I tell you? Can I tell you? Can I tell yeah. you? God Please bless Steven Spielberg. I rewatched Jurassic Park, the first one, once a quarter. It's a perfect movie. I think he has changed the industry overall for good. I like that man, but Steven, <laughs> go sit down. It's time to share. We're good. Well, we got. I mean, I would. We got Sam. I would just. I my counter argument to that is that he has only only one of his movies has ever won Best Picture, and that is uh, Schindler's List, and he's only won Best Director. That's still one more than most people. That's still one more than most people. Yeah, I. I mean, there are several movies that I think that he deserved Best Director for that have come out in the last fifteen years or so. I would. Do you think it's the Fablemans? Uh, if I were voting, I would vote for the Daniels for everything, everywhere, same, all at once. Same. I same. also would not in any way begrudge Spielberg winning this year. I think that if any one okay. human has earned the the kind of coronation that that would sort of represent, okay. I think it's him. Uh, I want to do a few quick 
run through of like superlatives. So like rapid fire, just give me the first answer that comes to mind. Okay. Which nomination surprised you the most this week? Oh, I gasped for Andrew Riseborough. Which was the biggest snub? I think Daniel Deadweiler. Who will win the biggest on Oscar night? Oh, that's a good question. There's a real possibility that everything everywhere all at once really runs the table. Um, I could see it winning three out of the four uh, acting nominations. But I, I will also say that I, I was not, I think, All Quiet on the Western Front, this uh, German film that w- that's on Netflix that uh, depicts World War One, has become a real powerhouse. And that could also be a big winner. I will be watching these Oscars. I'm trying to figure out what drinking game to play while I watch this year, but there'll be something. Uh, but to recap, you are in general into these nominations? Yes. This year? In general, I am. Okay. Yes. So am I, which means we kind of agree. Hooray! I like your opinion. Adam, you won. Congratulations. Oh, that's, that's, that just makes me, that makes my day. Who needs that's, an Oscar when you've won Into It, Not Into It on the Vulture podcast, Into It? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that and the uh, and Riz Ahmed announcing best uh, animated short. My year of dicks. Uh, both of those things are big, big wins, wins for, the, for day. the day. Adam, always a winner when I'm talking with you. Thank you so much for your time and the work that you do. I'll be following your coverage this Oscar season and beyond. Come back anytime. Thank you, Sam. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Claudia Forestieri remembers exactly how she felt when the TV show she wrote got picked up by HBO Max. Oh, my God. It was like winning Miss Universe. You know when you see, like, the beauty pageants contestants and they get picked and, like, their hands quiver and they start ugly crying? And it's like, 
And you think to yourself, oh, that's so fake. They're just putting on a show. That's what I started doing. I was like, oh, my God. Like, started ugly crying. The show is called Gordita Chronicles. It's all about a Dominican girl named Cuckoo Castelli growing up in Miami. Gordita is Cuckoo's nickname. It translates to chubby girl. If we don't go home, I'll die or run away. The song said America the Beautiful. I think they oversold it. Girls, give America a chance. This show has a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And Claudia was hearing anecdotally that the audience numbers for the show were strong. Seemed like things were working out. But they weren't. As Claudia and her team were starting to put together season two of Gordita Chronicles, she got a call. Her show was being canceled. Physically, there was like a burst of flames from within me. I felt really, really, really high. I actually went to a doctor. I thought I was going into menopause. I thought it was like an extreme hot flash. And like, that's bad enough. But that wasn't it. Sometime later, Claudia gets another call. She finds out that her show is going to be taken off of the HBO Max platform entirely. Like disappeared from the app. One side of me is like, okay, is somebody at HBO Max just coming up with new ways to make me feel bad? Claudia is not alone. So far, HBO Max has taken more than 80 titles off its platform in the last few months. The company says it's all part of its merger with Discovery Plus, and taking these shows off the platform lets the company save money. I'm going to talk now with Claudia about how it feels to have a show that exists but lives nowhere. Also, what losing Gordita Chronicles means to her, and what it all says about an industry that still does a really bad job of telling Latino stories. Can you recall what they said when they had that call with you to say it was canceled? What did they say besides your show was canceled? Did they give you reasons? Did they try to console you? What did they say? Nobody from HBO Max reached out to um, us directly. It was all filtered through Sony. And the reason that was given uh, was that they were no longer going to do live action kids and family programming. Huh. How did you feel when Mm -hmm. you heard that? Devastated. I, I did it at the time. This is before they pulled Batgirl back. We were kind of like the canary in the coal mine. Mm. Um, So I thought it was like just a BS excuse until then the two or three weeks following when, you know, all these other shows keep, you know, got canceled left and right. Batgirl, they decided like not to release it. And then I started thinking, is it something against Dominicans? Because Leslie Grace is Dominican. So I don't know, maybe, you know, Mm. the new leadership at Warner Brothers Discovery just doesn't like Dominicans for whatever reason. I don't know. But um, (laughs) but um, yeah, but then it started becoming clear that it was um, an industry kind of wide contraction um, of the streaming industry. So for me, you know, with the benefit of time, I've been able to look at the decision and the events of last fall with a clearer head. And now it's, you know, the reality is I was... As a first-time creator, I had only been on two shows when I sold Gordita Chronicles. I was on Good Trouble, and I was on Selena the Series. So I feel like I benefited from the streaming wars because they give a first-time creator with not that much TV writing experience a show, which is something that wouldn't have happened like 10, 15 years ago. So I benefited from the streaming wars, and then 
the show was a casualty of the streaming wars. So, yeah. you know, now I see it as, you know, the industry giveth and the industry taketh, you that know? Part. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So there was the call where they tell you the show is being canceled, but there's also the call where they tell you the show is going to be literally disappeared from the app. Can you recall that call? Yeah. So that one, as, as painful as it was, that one, I was expecting it to happen because... Wait, really? Um, yeah, because I had seen that, you know, they had already removed some other shows from the server. So I, um, it, it felt like I just knew it was the inevitable. It happened sooner mm. than I would have liked. But that, unfortunately, I was expecting. It was still heartbreaking. And we are, you know, along with Sony, we're looking for a home for those season one episodes. And um, that's something that, you know, I'm hoping will land somewhere. When they called you to tell you that they were going to take the show off of the app after canceling the show, did they give you any reasons for that? Um, I guess the same that they had given, you know, other people just, you know, cutting hmm. costs. And How did that um, make you feel hearing that? Did it seem like an adequate enough reason to take your show off, totally off that platform? No. You know, they say, don't take it personal, but it felt like just kind of like... How can like, you not take it personal? It's your exactly, show. You wrote exactly. it. It's about, like, your story. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So I just... Um, I don't, it's hard. It's hard because, you know, it's in, in, you know, this industry, I come from the East Coast and um, Miami, you know, shout out to 305. And um, over there, people are more upfront with decisions. And here, <laughs> it's a different game. So, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes there's a reason you're given and then underneath there's a real reason. What do you think is a real reason? I don't think there's an appreciation for shows about the Latino experience. And I think it's an mm. industry-wide problem. Mm. I think if you don't have a diverse enough slate of leaders that mm-hmm. connect to something on a personal level, that it's it's easier to to cut things you know, yeah. if, if, you know, if, if, if you don't have any Latinos, um, yeah. you know, any black people, any people of color, like a lot of people of color really strongly connected to the show. I also um, had seen some numbers. I can't remember from where, but our two biggest groups of audience were, um, were um, Latina women, but also white mm-hmm. women. So um, huh. I feel like, yeah. Also, you know, that's without even counting the kids. You know, exactly. we had a lot of, like, fans under 18. So at the end of the day, like, we were never given exact numbers from HBO Max mm-hmm. as to what our audience was and what the breakdown was. And I think that in part that was to, you know, not draw more negative attention to the decision. Yeah. So that was made. Logistically, where is your show right now? Do you know, do you have a copy of the whole thing? I can't find, me and my team, we looked all over for your show. We can't find your show. I wanted to watch some of it. I cannot watch it. Where is it? The show is physically and um, spiritually in limbo. Right now, you can wow. only see it on American Airlines and on JetBlue. Stop. Yes. What? <laughs> I'm going to have to take a plane to watch your show. <laughs> wow. Okay. Wow. All the season or just like three or four episodes? Just like about, I think, like four, the first four, five or six episodes. Um, I seem to recall the Halloween one. Um, yeah, I just, I took a flight back from Miami in January and I saw it on there and I like 
you know, saw a couple of episodes just for fun. Um, you know, <laughs> how did that feel? It was kind of cool. Like, oh, okay. here it is, right. you know. Um, and, you know, people st- still write me like, oh, my God, I discovered the show on the plane. Where can I see the rest? That's um, and they can't. Wow. Yeah, right now you can't. I do have copies that were you have given a copy. to Okay, me. that's what I wanted to ask. Yeah, I was like, no. do they give you a copy? Do you have one? Yes, yes, I okay. do. I have Could copies. Could you put it online yourself, ostensibly, if you wanted to? Like, is there like a SoundCloud or Bandcamp for like TV shows? Um, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Right now, Sony is working to get the first season on another platform. Um, what so platform? On- I don't know. To be honest, I don't. I'm not sure who they're reaching out to. I've been told various sources and various places, and um, I don't have the latest information on that. But I think once that, hopefully, we land somewhere. And if not, then um, I guess we would probably discuss um, other ways of putting it up and and making it available. Yeah, yeah. I, I really hope okay. that happens yeah. so Me people too. can see it. Me too. Keep seeing it. Yeah. This whole experience has just been a lesson in like how the industry works, you know? Like what's been you know? the biggest lesson in that regard? <sighs> There's bigger forces that are out of mm. you know, out of your control. Like all I can mm. do is try to be the best writer I can be and and move forward. And it's it's heartbreaking. And also I have to acknowledge, like, as you know, in the let as Latinos, we have a huge problem. Like our shows keep getting canceled. It's it just feels like it's mm-hmm. two three times harder for us, and that's something I've been thinking about um, for the last few months. Like, okay, yeah. what can be done to help the next show? Because I've seen yeah. so many shows get canceled. Like V that got canceled, Hentified got canceled, and these were like wonderful, brilliant shows. And now it's Gordita Chronicles is added to the list. So like, mm-hmm. what can we do? And I'm not. I haven't found the solution yet, but I. I it's a big problem, and it, it, it is, is frustrating. And some days are easier than others. Like you know, some days I can push it aside. Other days, it, I feel like, wow, if I put my heart and soul into this show for you know so many years, we did everything right. We got all these wonderful people to work on the show. People loved it. We got great press. Like even mm-hmm. though we didn't have a huge marketing budget, we did everything against the odds, and still we got canceled. You know, what's the use of coming up with another show? Mm, yeah. But yeah. I, I also try to temper all those kind of like negative thoughts with like positive thoughts. Like, you know, I have, you know, Sony like believes in me and, and they gave me like a wonderful overall deal. Okay. And um, hopefully um, I'll get to sell another show with them. We're going to be pitching something in a month or two um, that I'm really excited about. And I'm working on another show, like a reboot um, okay. also with Sony that I'm excited about. So, you know, I think this is just part of the um, it, it just feels like, you know, now I've really, truly been inducted into the Hollywood industry, you know? Um, yeah. By fire. It, it's, By fire. It's pa- yeah, it's painful and um, it's not always fun. It's not always like, you know, a premiere with Eva Longoria and Zoe Saldana. But um, it's still an industry that I want to be in. Yeah. And I feel like it's yeah. worth it to keep fighting. But we do have a totally. huge problem on our hands. Do you think it's going to get better anytime soon? Any of this? I don't know. I huh. um I used to think that things were on an upward trend. Yeah. Like, well, I remember when Vida came out. I was. I remember Vida. You know, I loved it. I, Love that show, and I, I, it was the first time that I truly felt like seen because the, the, 
female characters that Tanya created were so complex and nuanced and um, three-dimensional. I was like, oh my God, I feel like I really connected to these women. These women feel like women that I've like, you know, known. It feels like myself. Mm -hmm. And I really thought, wow, you know, it was a critically acclaimed show. I thought, you know, things are going to get better for us as, as Latino creatives going forward. But now I don't know. I don't know. The industry is mm. going through so many changes. It feels like every week there's some new bombshell piece of news. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping that um, a year from now, like the dust is cleared and whatever contraction has been happening in the industry has finally stopped and, yeah. and we can get yeah. to a more stable place. Um, I don't know. I still can't help thinking that Maybe it was too early to do a show about, like, a plus-size person of color. Um, I don't know. There's still a lot of things that I don't make sense to me. Yeah. That I'm still yeah. trying to, like, yeah. make sense of. And that's totally rational and reasonable. How worried are you that this might happen again to your next show? I try not to think about that. Because if not, um, it's really hard to write. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thinking about, I do. It's in the back of my head. It's in the back of my head, but um, the last few months has kind of just been an exercise in trying to figure out, like, the things I can't control and the things I can't, you know, like the serenity prayer that they use in AA, you know, God grant me the yeah. strength mm -hmm. to, like, yeah, it's, it's been an exercise in that. It's like, okay, what can I control? What I can control See? is, you know, my writing, and then there's the big industry-wide things that, I feel like I can't control. Like, I don't want to just idly stand by, but at this point, I, I don't know what can be done. There's so many organizations like the National Hispanic Media Coalition, NALIB, um, that they're, this is their whole mission, is to increase the number of, you know, Latin shows on TV and Latin creators, you know, in front and behind the cameras. And they've been doing it for decades. So I have, you know, friends that, that work there too. And I know this is a battle that they've been fighting for so long. So mm. I... I feel like we need to maybe think about new strategies. I don't know what those are yet. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, hearing you share your story with me, uh, I admire you a lot because you are mm. in pretty good spirits and being really nice to these people who didn't do you well. And let me tell you something. Had it been me, I would have been full Angela Bassett waiting to exhale. <laughs> uh, let me burn down some HBO Max offices. <laughs> But that's why I don't write for TV. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> You've handled it really well, though. And I want to say that, like, I'm sure these last few months have been just a lot for you. But this chat, it was just an example of how to be a class act. I appreciate you and what you're doing. I can't wait to see what you watch next. And in the meantime, I'm going to, I don't know, hop on a long American Airlines flight and uh, watch Gordita Chronicles. There you <laughs> Where go. should I fly? Where should right? I fly? Hawaii, maybe. Um, yeah. Go to, yeah, or go to Santo Domingo. Ooh. You know? Oh, okay. yeah. How long the is that flight great from LA? There. Okay. Actually, there's there's no direct flights yet. I'm going <laughs> to, okay. you know, I want to talk to American Airlines about that. You have to stop in Miami, but hey. Done. You, you know? I'll do it. I'll do go it. Go to Miami. I'll tell you all the spots to visit that, like, yes. we reference in the show. And then you go oh, to Dominican Republic. There you go. I'm going to take a gordita trip. There you go. Yes. Thanks again to Claudia Forestieri. She's the creator of Gordita Chronicles. And FYI, we reached out to Warner Brothers Discovery for a comment. A spokesperson there referred back to a statement that was released at the time the show was canceled. 
It reads, quote, Live action, kids, and family programming will not be part of our programming focus in the immediate future. And as a result, we've had to make the very difficult decision to end Gordita Chronicles at HBO Max. The statement goes on to call Gordita Chronicles, quote, a heartfelt, groundbreaking show that connected deeply with a very important demographic. Culture Geist. Culture Geist. You're listening to Culture Geist. Culture Geist. I don't know, y'all. And now for a segment we're calling Culture Geist. About all the things we can't stop thinking about. The culture that's haunting you, haunting me, haunting all of us, for better or worse. What's going on, everybody? I'm Jelani Carter, associate producer on the show you're listening to right now. And I'm not going to lie to y'all, the thing that had me and my friend group in a chokehold is the Netflix original Ginny and Georgia. The homies and I binged both seasons in about three days, and please don't let the look of the show fool you. It is so good. It's like Gilmore Girls, but if Lorelai was from the trenches, like, no joke, the title character, Georgia, is a certified gangster with a capital G. Hi there. How long have you been dating, my dog? We're not, like, dating. It's, um... Hmm. I don't like that answer. The cast in the story is fantastic. Like, truly, there are some really well-acted emotional beats throughout it that made me almost tear up. The outfits in the show are just, oh my god, chef's kiss. Like, the costume department really knocked it out the park. I am obsessed with your mom's coats, okay? The one she's wearing today, the green one. I love it. Today? I don't know, man. Netflix really got themselves a jam on their hands, and you really wouldn't expect it. I highly recommend it. Hello. My name is Roxana Haddadi. I am a TV critic for Vulture, and my culturegeist obsession this week is about The Last of Us. And my question is, in this world where the cordyceps fungal infection has spread throughout society and created the destruction of humanity and collapsed all civilization. Billions of puppets with poisoned minds permanently fixed on one unifying goal, to spread the infection to every last human alive by any means necessary. Do people still eat mushrooms? I ask this because I, in my real life right now, eat mushrooms. And doing some research into how fungi work and spread has made me very wary of eating a mushroom ever again. And there are no treatments for this, no preventatives, no cures. They don't exist. It's not even possible to make them. And I cannot tell on The Last of Us if humanity feels the same way, but I wouldn't blame them if they did. So if that happens, we lose. We'll be back. Yo, what's good? Into it, Pod. Sarhaka Love here, host of New York Mag's nightly newsletter, Dinner Party. And listen, listen, listen to me. I am nobody's idea of a fucking capitalist, okay? It's like, eat the rich, burn it all down, build something better, all of that shit. I'm with it. 
But I got to respect top tier product placement when I see it. Okay, so I was watching Alone on Hulu where it's like mostly white people starving themselves in the Arctic wilderness for a million dollars. I'm so freaking pumped right now. I'm shaking. I, I, I finally, finally, finally caught the effing mouse in my Paiute deadfall. And, you know, be that as it may, there came a point where your boy had to use the restroom. And like any self-respecting human, I hit pause. And once I hit pause, what came up? A static ad for Charmin toilet paper and the little bear mascot asking me directly, bathroom break? And I just got to say, Procter & Gamble, you brilliant bastards, you almost got me. Now, Charmin is a little too thick and a touch too wasteful for my personal poom, but y'all get a nice little touch slap for the attempt. So back in the day, I used to think watching a family of grizzly bears all using toilet paper to clean out their tanks was like, a bit of a hard sell, you know? Like, ain't no way that little less is more jingle makes any kind of sense when you're talking about grizzly ass. Like, be fucking for real. But that little ad on the corner of the screen, breaking the fourth wall and catching me right as I go drop the kids off, that's excellent work. <laughs> it's excellent. Thanks again to Terhaka, Roxana, and Jelani. Listeners, did you have a culture geist? A thing in the culture that's been haunting you for days or weeks or even years? The more specific you are, the better. Send us your culture geist as a short voice memo. We are at Intuit at Vulture.com. Intuit at Vulture.com. Also, if you like this show and want to support it, we could use your help. Subscribe to Intuit on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And most importantly, share with your friends. Tell them about the show. Every little bit helps. All right, Intuit is hosted by me, Sam Sanders. The show is produced by Janae West, Travis Larchuk, Gabby Grossman, and Jelani Carter. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our engineer is Daniel Turek. Our music is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. And Hannah Rosen is the head of audio at New York Magazine. All right, listeners, we are back next Thursday with a new episode. Until then, only watch the Oscar-nominated films that you want to watch. Don't feel pressure to watch them all. Take care of yourself this Oscar season. Okay, bye.